Mental Podcast is a show dedicated to individuals and mental health professionals, providing support, information, and some candid conversations along the way. And now, here are your hosts, Michelle and Seth. Let's see how long this intro is. (laughs) Here we are. Welcome. That's much better. Welcome, everyone, to Mental Podcast. We are so happy to have you joining us today as we begin the first episode of our new series for March that is actually going to focus on the trauma of domestic violence. Excited about that? Uh, I don't know if excited is the right word. Yeah, I, mean, I agree. I don't know it's, if excited. It's, it's a correct. daunting subject, so I don't know that you can be excited about it. Daunting? Ready to discuss it there. I daunting, mean, yes. Yeah. I mean, I think that there's a lot that goes into it that oftentimes isn't even can, people don't even think about. Oh, yeah, for sure. And I think it's much more prevalent than most people even think about as well. Oh, so. I think that is without, without, without a doubt. Well, I mean, just reading through some of the stats, I mean, some of them were very shocking to me. So Were they? Yeah. Yeah. And I actually have a bunch of stats in front of me that I've actually pulled from um, the National Coalition Against Domestic Violence. And it is Mm -hmm. surprising and shocking and saddening and terrifying Mm -hmm. all at the same time. Yes. But I don't want to break from our (laughs) mental norm, right? We can't. I I kind of started the conversation on structure. Kind of started this conversation <laughs> on domestic violence, but hold, I'm going to hold back for a second. Okay. And we first need to, before we jump into our subject matter, as we do on every episode, we like mm-hmm. to do these things called mental minutes, where we get a process of things that have been going on in our personal lives over the last week. And I am not about to go first. So <laughs> I Mich- went first last week. I know you did, and I. But Damn. this is. A, but but that was the end of a series, and oh. this is the beginning of a series. What a so, load of crap! <laughs> so technically, technically, it's a different. It's a different wheelhouse. So oh, I see. You're gonna throw technically at me. So I get how you are. So how so you doing? That's fine. Uh, uh last week was stressful. So I, I got some things off my plate over the last few days that are helpful. So uh, I finished a college class or a university class for my doctorate that was like haunting me since last year. (laughs) And did, while that class was very difficult. Yes. I'm assuming that, you know, the fact, because I think you even shared in the last episode about having to kind of extend the class and and everything. Multiple times. (laughs) Multiple times to the point that you now are finally tackling it. Yeah. Almost had it extended again, but decided against it. Yeah. And how do you feel about that now? Well, I'm incredibly happy I didn't extend it again. It would have just extended my agony. The, the, the course is Statistics for Behavioral Sciences. And it's so funny because I was talking with somebody yesterday and, and they were like, why would you need to take statistics and behavioral sciences? I'm like, well, because when you get your dissertation and your thesis, you have to do research. And then you're going to have to, you know, explore the data and, and see if, it, if you arrive at the hypothesis that, you, or, you know, if your hypothesis holds water. And I said, but I'll be honest with you. <laughs> I can do the math and statistics. That's fine. It's the interpretation that throws me. 
And for whatever reason, it makes no sense in my brain. And I was like, you know, screw this, man. If I get to that point, I will just hire somebody to interpret this crap for me. <laughs> I don't think I have to know it. <laughs> but anyway, I finished the class. So. <laughs> well, and there's also all of these computer systems that do all of it for right. you. So really, it's just about collecting the data and putting it into a system and then letting the system yeah. tell you what the things are. Right? Yeah, pretty much. Yes. And so it was just... I, you know, it was so daunting inside my brain that I, that's why I kept it. Well, I had, you know, we moved last year and lots of, lots of, uh, logistical issues that came up. So mm-hmm. finishing it was, was difficult, but this time I would have just extended it because I was procrastinating. Yeah. So I literally did almost half of the course's work in like the last three days. <laughs> As as it is in almost every graduate or doctorate program in the United States, that's normal behavior. Oh well, lucky me, I'm normal. <laughs> but I but I am curious, how did you do on that? Oh my gosh! Uh, honestly, I got an A in the class. What? Um, and yeah, I got an A in the class. <laughs> Didn't I tell you that? No, I I know, but I want our listeners. Oh, okay. I oh, want our see. listeners to hear. <laughs> You're gonna make me drag it out. Yeah, no, I want our <laughs> listeners to hear. Just kind of the situation where you felt as if you were going to fail and you were at a point where you were going to produce subpar work, accepting Mm. like a C or a D as long Mm -hmm. as it allowed you to pass the class. And yet somehow, (laughs) somehow you walked away with an A. I did. I honestly, when I had to let the class go before, of course, you know, when you don't complete a class, you get an F, which was incredibly upsetting to me because I'm a straight A student. So, you know, and I kept trying to tell myself like GPA doesn't matter in a doctoral program. It makes no difference, you know. And so I went back and forth with my academic advisor and she's like, just let it go. You're going to replace, you're going to redo it and you'll replace that grade. And I was like, okay. So again, I take the class now I'm going through it and I realize I don't understand this stuff. And I was doing okay on the homework. I did have one homework assignment where I got like a 50% on it. The rest of them, I had like 100% or 80%, somewhere in there. Was there a curve? No, there's no curve. Okay. And all my discussion posts, all that, I had full credit on everything else. So now it was coming down to the – so then on the – on the what was it? The third and fourth homework assignments, I think one of them was the 50 and then I got 100 again. And I was like, all right, I have two homework assignments left and the research paper. So I did the homework assignments and I'm doing the math. I've got my grades. I'm doing the math, what I need. Like, okay, if I want to get this grade in the class, this is what I need on these assignments. And I was willing to allow myself to go to 50% on both of those homework assignments again, which is way out of character for me. And then I was like, and if I I have a 300-point paper, if I can just get 150 points, I'll have a C in this class. Yeah. And whatever. I'll pass it. I'll move on. Whatever. You know, it's a hit to my GPA. But even still, my GPA had been 4.0. With the F in there, it was 3.43. So it was still a really healthy GPA. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Normally, (laughs) what is it? Like 3.2? Is it a 3.0 that you have to maintain? I think so. I've never worried about it because I've never had to. So I just didn't even pay any attention. It's called privilege. Yeah, well, it's called busting my ass and getting grades. But um, (laughs) but anyway, so I thought, well, if I can just pull a C in this class, you know, it'll bring the GPA back up a little bit, but I'll be done with this and whatever. Well, I ended up acing both of those homework assignments. So I was like, ooh, what I need to get on this research paper just dropped significantly. (laughs) That's awesome. 
I literally wrote the worst paper I have ever written in my academic career. I don't think that your professor, I don't know if your professor knew that. Uh, Honestly. And I think I told you this. When I got the grade back, I literally started laughing. My daughter-in-law was sitting next to me and I got 288 out of 300. I got a 96 on the paper. (laughs) And And it's the worst paper you've ever written. Worst paper I've ever written. I didn't hit the page requirements. I didn't have, I had more than enough references, but I didn't have the number of scholarly references I needed. Literally, I just threw a bunch of crap on a paper and said, let's hope for the best. You know, let's just get enough points here. And so I started laughing and she's like, what's funny? I said, I literally just got a 96 on this paper. And she goes, oh, and you thought you did so bad. I said, no, you're missing this. I did do that badly. I said, I'm kind of pissed, to be honest. Who grades something like that and gives it a 96? What the hell is wrong with education? <laughs> well, and, and again, I want to throw out that it's very possible that your professor knew that you had extended, right? Well, yeah, it's the same professor. So Same yes. professor. So, yeah. I mean, you might be one of the longest running students he's ever had. <laughs> Maybe. So you- no 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 that's not true because I saw in the forums different people posting most people had taken the course two to three times. It's not just me that doesn't get that crap. <laughs> well, maybe he's judging lightly in the day and age maybe. of COVID. I don't know, but I'm like this dude's a PhD and he just gave this crap paper in '96. Anyway, I was like, all right, you know what? I'm mad for the moment. That's a ridiculous reason to be mad. I'm going to move on. I ended up with a 94.4 in the class. I'm like, I'll take it. My A is back. I got my 4.0 back. I don't care. I'm done with it. <laughs> well, congratulations. Thank it's, you. Thank it you. is very well earned and deserved. Well, we'll see. I know you think it was a horrible paper, but clearly yeah. it wasn't. Well, I uh, look, I can write. And I know that my syntax, my spelling, my presentation – my formatting, everything is on, on, it's where it's supposed to be. So I think if you can, even if you write a crappy paper, if you can make it look pretty good. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> you know, it's true. It's, well, it's, there's so many points. Sway. Yeah. There's so many points that go towards APA yeah. format in professional settings. So yeah. it makes sense. Yeah. But so that's out of the way. Today, I finished getting all my endorsements to my publisher. I finished going back through the rewrites that he wanted or the changes he wanted and, and, going through and answering his questions. And I sent all that back. So that's another thing off my plate. So maybe now I'll get a release date for my book. We'll see. <laughs> I am looking forward to it. Now, granted, I've already read your book, but I know, you I'm, have. I'm very excited for it to hit the shelves because I think that it's going to have a big impact on people. I hope so. I went back and pulled together all the endorsements and then sat there and read them all. And I was like, damn, these are really nice. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> it was a nice list. It was, it was not a lot of nice things. So. Perhaps, perhaps like, you okay. should take that list, print that off, and post that somewhere so that you can see that Maybe. occasionally. Maybe. Might not be a bad idea. But. I don't think that might be a good yeah. idea. Well, I got some more work to do this weekend, though, because the book I wrote with Matthew DiStefano, we have a rewrite in that. so I have, And it's on me, my section. So I got to rewrite and then get that back to him so we can get that out to the publisher as well. So and then I think I will have all of my requirements off of me for a while, except for work stuff. So Well, that's awesome. I know. I won't know how to act. <laughs> Now, I literally wake up thinking about this stuff. So. In case our listeners, like, you know, in case someone's listening to this episode and you've not listened to previous and know more of Michelle's story, <laughs> Michelle, do you mind just kind of providing a synopsis of the book that you've written that's coming uh, out as well as the book you're writing with Matthew? Yeah, the book that I wrote is called Into the Gray, and it's my personal story of religious deconstruction from a psychological perspective. Uh, the things that everybody kind of goes through, the emotions and the mental anguish and all of that stuff that goes along with questioning pretty closely held belief system. 
So it's it's literally mm-hmm. my story mixed in with some psychological jargon. So <laughs> and well, then the you book like that- lay out an entire premise, like yeah. almost like a hypothesis that yes deconstruction ties so closely to the stages of grief, and I think yeah. that's fascinating. Yeah, that was it. Was originally going to be my thesis idea for my doctorate. I don't know was if it? it's gonna. I don't know if it's going to continue to be. If it is, of course, it'll be written more from a scholarly perspective at that point rather than an anecdotal perspective. You know, my my personal story. So we'll see. But yeah, I did liken it that everybody what they're actually doing is grieving, mm-hmm. and that's why there's so much emotion that goes into the process and so much misunderstanding and confusion, and that's why it doesn't look the same for every single person. That's why there's no right or wrong way to do it. It's, it just is. So, and then the book that I wrote with Matthew is basically a discussion on his deconstruction and it, and it's just a back and forth conversation. So it, it, it turned out pretty well. I, I like it. So I think I just need to do that little bit of a rewrite and then we'll get it, we'll get it out. So, well, hopefully. I'm excited to read that one as well. It'll be good. Yeah. Matt's got a good story. So, yeah. Yeah, but anyway, and then today I came up with a new idea. So, we'll, oh, we'll a new see. idea for a new book. Yeah. So I actually, I actually have a couple ideas for an, more books, but this one was brand new today, and it was almost something I posted on Facebook, and then I thought, oh hell, I'm not posting that because somebody might take that idea. <laughs> no, that's my idea. <laughs> you do run with a lot of authors. <laughs> that's true. I'm like, no, I'm not feeding anybody today. <laughs> I'm going to do my own stuff. So I don't know. Again, I, if I do write another one right now, I'm not telling anybody because it's. I'm just going to leave it. That way, there's no pressure on me whatsoever. So. I think that's fair. <laughs> Completely. Yeah. I think that's yeah. 100% fair. Yeah, well. All right. We have, we have waited through all my crap long enough. So now it's your mental minute. You know, I'm just really not in a place to... I mean, I felt like I already did that last week. It's the same story. I'm not, I'm, I'm at this point, I'm surviving. Okay. I think I, you're doing pretty well, personally. Yeah. Well. I know you've had a couple setbacks. I get that. Yeah. That's normal. I, there is a line that says, when people show you their true selves. Yes. Believe them. Believe them. That's right. And I've. I always give the benefit of the doubt. Mm-hmm. I do too. <laughs> over and over and over again. And mm-hmm. within this last week, and I'm not speaking about anyone specifically, I'm not calling out anyone here on the show, but like in this last week, that's kind of, that's, that's become, it, it's become a running, a running right. theme. Right. And a lot of the people that I thought I knew, um, a lot of people that I thought cared about me, that's not necessarily the truth anymore. Yeah. And that's hard. And so yeah. I, uh, I'm just kind of taking it day by day. Yeah. And thankfully, for the last month, I'm finishing it this Friday, for the last month, I will have trained two, two week classes back to back. Uh, so, I mean, honestly, I have been quite busy at work, which has been very nice as yeah, I've been helps. going. Yeah, it really does. Mm-hmm. Because if I was just sitting at home, like working on PowerPoints and instructional design stuff, like I don't, 
my mind tends to wander and then, you know, I get distracted and I'm not as efficient and I tend to beat myself up quite a bit during that period of time. So the very fact that I've had such a busy, a busy lineup at work has actually been very beneficial. Right. And I think, yeah, right. I think that's good for you. Yeah. But I I will say this. I think that, like I said, I think you've handled everything really well. You've stayed calm. You've stayed pretty matter of fact about everything. I think that anytime you put boundaries in place, they're going to get pushed and you'll take, you know, two steps forward, one step back occasionally. And that's okay. That's a normal part of the process because you're learning how to handle boundaries and your emotions surrounding circumstances and those boundaries. Mm -hmm. So it's, you know, it is tough. But it's necessary and it's good for your growth. So it's it's healthy and even though it hurts like hell. Yeah. Well, this has been, I would say this has been one of the bigger growing up moments in my life. Because yeah. I typically, honestly, <laughs> historically, <laughs> when it comes to friendships, if friendships end abruptly, it's typically done by the, by the other person. Yeah. Well, not, now you have a full perspective. Not me. But when I establish boundaries and then it gets cut off, it's like, oh, okay, well, then, yeah. all right. That's well, what this feels like. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's what yeah. this is. But that's okay. You know, I don't remember if I've asked you this before, so forgive me if I'm being redundant. But oh, you're fine. Have you ever seen, uh, you know who Tyler Perry is, right? Of course I know who Tyler Perry is. And he is. does Medea. Yes, and you're going to do the ever- one about Let It Go. About the, the branches. Tree, well, that's the branches. The, it's the same video. I love that video. It's amazing. Love it. I, it, it is, makes it me is cry really, really every good. time, but it reminds me of, of the, that reality of life and how important mm-hmm. it is to find those right people. Now, I had no Tyler Perry, and I know the illustration that you're speaking mm-hmm. to, but many people probably don't that are listening to this episode. So can you explain that just a little bit? Well, I, I don't know how many people are familiar with Tyler Perry, but he does a character called Medea, and who is an older woman. And very outspoken and kind of an aggressive personality. (laughs) And she has a young man talking with her one day and he's talking about relationships and how hard they are and asks for her wisdom. And her wisdom is actually beautiful. She likens relationships to a tree. And she says, she goes on this very long monologue of most people are like leaves. They're blown about by the wind. They're here today and gone tomorrow. And... Sometimes that's difficult to accept, but it's just the natural course of life. The, the leaves, you know, grow. They're there for a short period of time and then they're gone. Uh-huh. Um, and, and the contention is that the largest majority of people in your life are like that. Then she goes into the illustration of the branches of the tree. And they seem stronger. They seem more sturdy. But the, the, the warning that she gives for that is you have to watch out for the branches. Because you'll think they're strong and you'll step out on them and they'll break from under you. Uh And so that's a tighter circle of people in your life. But you have to remember that they too are not necessarily there for the long term. That there's a season. And then the final illustration, of course, is like there are a few people that are like the roots of the tree. That they are the foundation for everything that you do. They are the strongest relationships in your life. And you probably only have one or two, maybe three of those in your life. Uh And that those are the ones you can count on no matter what. And it's just a beautiful illustration because we can all look back and, and point to people that we know that are the leaves. But I think the most hurtful part are the branches. 
the people that we think are long-term that are sturdy and strong, and then they break from under us. Yeah. And how many times have we been the branches for somebody else? Right. But that it's all a part of this evolution of life and relationships. It's the process. Yeah. It's a beautiful illustration. And he, and, you know, Tyler Perry just does such a beautiful job with that character. And then with that monologue, it, it, I, I have it in my Facebook memories every year when it comes up, I share it again. Cause I want it every year. I think it's so valuable Yeah, and it reminds me every time. So it's, it's something to remember. Well, I've already watched it about 10 times in the yeah. last week. Oh. <laughs> and I cry. I was going to say, it makes you cry. <laughs> every single time. In fact, whenever I'm at a moment where I feel emotional, and which I felt very emotional over the last right. two to three weeks, I have been right. literally on the verge of what I've yeah. almost a mental breakdown, but better than I have in the past. Yes. Close to it, but I've actually not broken. You, you're doing well. Except for I last night. I did break I really last think night. think so. But eh, like I've I said, watched, two steps forward, one step back. It yeah. happens. I watched that. Uh, I, I've watched it about 10 times. And, and whenever I, I am feeling emotional and it's like, hey, I just really need something to put me over so that I, I let out those tears. Watching that that YouTube video does it almost every single time. Yeah, because it's it's awesome. It's just absolutely awesome. Well, she speaks directly to people's hearts. Yes. And and she makes it very clear. Yeah. In an illustrative way. This, yeah, and it's just this and that's why that's why it's so brilliant because it's Tyler Perry playing this role, but you actually buy into this role of this oh, older yeah. black woman with all of this wisdom and you you feel like you want to lean into that and into mm-hmm. her mm-hmm. because she just feels comforting. Yeah. And it's it's a beautiful character. He he does a fantastic job. So now I've not I've never seen any of the movies, the Medea movies or anything like that. That is literally my only connection to that character, but I just think it's amazing. Yeah. So but but yeah, rough week, but I still think you're doing pretty good. Well, thank you. And like you. I said, it's all a process and every day is just more opportunity to learn. So, yeah, you know, and that's true for anything and anybody. I think we should keep that in mind. Well, and I, I think it's also this whole this whole thing. And I again, I'm not going into great detail on this. There's just been some serious changes in my life. If you want to know more, listen to our most recent episode. But I I'm beginning to really value and have gratitude for the people who are in my life. Yeah. And Which is is a good thing. Who I can establish boundaries with and it's not the end of the world. Right. People that I can take steps or take breaks and it's not the end of the world. Um right. and I'm learning I'm learning to to really lean into those individuals and I found it extremely beneficial. So and not only that, also having I don't know what's the word I'm looking for, and I know I'm going to say I'm going to say a word that's not a word, so I'm going to just describe it. I have people in my life who can keep me in check. All right, that's okay. they're accountability, like accountability, basically. Yeah, and mm-hmm. and people that I can lean into for support and get mm-hmm. actual real feedback and conversation that's based not in just making fun of me, which is right. which is enjoyable. Absolutely. So. Because it's it's healthy. <laughs> yes, it is healthy. It is healthy, yeah. and and that's meant that's meant an awful lot to me. So, yeah. well, I think that's good. Like yeah. I said, it's just it's an unfolding, an unfolding thing in your life. But I think that it's a growing experience and an opportunity for you to learn more about yourself, which is always valuable. Well, let's get to our subject matter. Let's so we do can, it. 
So what? So we're talking domestic violence. Right. Well, we're continuing in our in our series on trauma. Of course, we did an overarching view of trauma in the month of February, where we talked a lot about its characteristics, its physiological effects, things like that. But now, um, based on some listeners' input, yes. we decided that we would work through different things over the next few months that actually uh, lead to traumatic events in people's lives. And so for this month, we chose the subject of domestic violence. Again, not something that we really want to make any kind of joke about or anything like that. It's a pretty serious subject. Yes, and it is. Unfortunately, it's too many people's experience. Yeah. And so we're just going to start with an overview of it today, kind of go through some stats and just general discussion on it. We'll get a little more in depth with it over the month, I think. But mm-hmm. yeah. And I want to provide before we even jump into this. So as Michelle mentioned, we did an entire month as an overview And now we're looking at trauma-specific situations. But even as we have these conversations around specific types of events that may result in trauma, please understand that trauma is subjective before I even get into this. So we're not, even with the, the situations that we cover, in no way are we saying that that is exhaustive. Um, or comprehensive. Uh, right. Trauma can be caused by almost anything. Um, it, it's not about the event at all. It's about how you experience it. So okay. even before we jump into this, I just want to be very clear. We're not saying these are the only things that can cause trauma. Trauma can be caused by almost anything based upon how you internally respond. Right. But with that, Let's jump into the first episode on domestic violence, really looking at this overview. How would you define domestic violence? I mean, I have a well, definition that I can read, but how what, 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 How would you describe it? Well, of course, the first thing that comes to mind is any kind of physical altercation. Yes. Um, but we can also talk about it from the perspective of sexual assault. We can talk about it from the perspective of uh, mental and emotional intimidation. Mm-hmm. All of those things actually fit into the characteristics of domestic violence and produce trauma for people. Yeah. You know, not only the person being abused, but anybody that's cohabiting in the house and is witness to, those are traumatic events for everybody involved. Mm -hmm. And so, but what is the definition that you have? All of the stats that I'm going to share today, including some of the definitions, are directly coming from the National national coalition against domestic violence and in fact if you were to go to their website ncadv ncadv if you were to go to their website there are all kinds of statistics and information and things that you can receive for support if you are in fact struggling yourself and i want to just throw that out right now as a resource in fact i believe it's on our website um, as a resource and i'll make if it's not now i'll make sure that it's on there by tonight But the definition that they provided is that domestic violence is the willful intimidation, physical assault, battery, sexual assault, and or any other abusive behavior that's part of a systematic pattern of power and control that's perpetuated by one partner, one intimate partner against another. Right. This includes physical violence, sexual violence threats, economic and emotional or psychological abuse. 
the frequency and severity of domestic violence varies dramatically. I would also say that, I mean, domestic violence, it, it tends to bring to my mind anyway, the idea of, as you said, intimate partners. So a husband and wife or boyfriend, girlfriend, but domestic violence also, in my estimation anyway, can include child abuse. Yes. Um, still happening within the house. Oftentimes, you know, you, I mean, you can find all kinds of statistics on this as well, but even if it's only one parent that is, is guilty of actually perpetuating the violence, the other is usually aware of it and is either being, you know, abused themselves or are standing back to avoid being abused in that situation. So you have quite a lot of dynamics that can go on within the subject matter of domestic violence. Mm -hmm. And again, because there's all these different aspects, all the way from battery and actual physical contact just to coercion and threat, financial issues and things like that. All of that is it is a part of this system. And quite honestly, I think almost all of those are included in every situation of domestic violence, especially those that lead all the way up to actual physical battery. Mm-hmm. There's almost always going to be some form of coercion or threat before you ever get to the level of physical violence. And so that's something to keep in mind. And and I think it can't be stressed enough, like you said a minute ago, if this is something you're dealing with, there are places that can help yes. you. There are people and, and organizations that are set up for this kind of thing. There are shelters for women and children. There There are places you can go. You do not have to be locked into a situation in which you continue to be abused or to watch anybody in your family be abused. Mm-hmm. And if I have anything important to say on this, it's that you should take that step. And I know it's scary and I know it's 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 you're traumatized and you don't know what to do and you're afraid of what will happen in the future. But you've got to make sure there is a future. Right. You just have to. But I also want to say, so you're, you're kind of jumping ahead before stats. I'm sorry. <laughs> because I, now I want to, like, you just you just triggered the social worker in me. And right. now I'm like, well, there's also some things I want. Because my first job, my first practicum in graduate school, I actually worked at the Victim Center in uh, Springfield, Missouri, and I actually hosted and facilitated domestic violence classes okay. with battered women. Okay. Just me, guy, in a room <laughs> with a room full of women who've been in you know serious domestic violence situations, and there's some of them are still in it, and some of them have gotten out of it. Right. But one of the things you also want to plan some of this so like for sure yes so i definitely definitely want to encourage you to take steps at producing distance so that you and your children if you have children as well can remain safe but even if you don't have children so that you can remain safe but i don't want you just to just up and leave put in a plan have a to-go bag Have a bank account that you're slowly siphoning money off into. Keep a to-go bag in your car in a case of an emergency. Have a safety plan in place. Um, I think that's absolutely critical as you start considering taking these steps forward. But I think that is going to be a lot of what we're going to talk about in future episodes. So I do want to bring this back to the statistics um, because I think that you are going to be taken aback when you hear and yeah. when you hear just how just how prevalent this is happening even here in the United States. Yeah, it's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. 
you know, for me, I grew up with a lot of domestic violence. And so because of that, it all feels very real to me, but I had no idea it was this prevalent elsewhere. You, you know, when you're the victim of something, you tend to think this is just me, mm-hmm. you know, and even as I'm an adult now and I'm outside of that situation, I still am kind of within that trauma in my own mind. And so it still was shocking to me to see some of these statistics that would indicate, you know, how much this is happening mm-hmm. and uh, just incredible. There's just so much that happens behind closed doors that no one ever has any idea about. Right. So here are some statistics. So again, this is coming from the National Coalition Against Domestic Violence, NCADV. In the United States, more than 10 million adults experience domestic violence annually. Now, if each of these adults experienced only one incidence of violence... Okay, of that 10 million, if they only experienced one incident of violence, that would mean that an adult in the United States would experience violence every three seconds. But what? It's unbelievable. But that is if they only experienced one. Right. And we know that when it comes to domestic violence, this is not typically a one time thing. No. This is a continual thing. Mm-hmm. That happens over and over and over again, forming a pattern. So right. it's actually far more frequently than every three seconds. Yeah. In fact, it very well may be every second. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's it's again, it's a shocking it's a shocking number, and it's horrifying to even think about. And again, because I am still very much keyed into the things that I saw when I was a kid, that the thought of that is a little overwhelming. Mm-hmm. That it's that that it's happening that often, and it's it, it's it is traumatizing. Even to sit here and think about it is traumatizing to me. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a it's a very harsh subject matter. It's emotional to me. Yeah, so. well, it it's an emotional thing, and yeah. so if we look at that ten million, and we break that up into gender, one in four women, and one in ten men experience sexual violence, physical violence, and or stalking by an intimate partner during their lifetime. Right. One in four women, one in 10 men. Right. That is terrifying. Yeah. It's, it's astounding. One in four women. Like I can't eat. That's 25%. Mm-hmm. That's 25% of the female population and 10% of the male population. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's very upsetting. You know, and that's why I think it's so important that they, that people do know their services and, and things and help out there because it is that prevalent and, and it is that serious for a lot of people. You know, uh, for some people, the, the domestic violence may just be that coercion or it may be financial, you know, being financially held hostage, if you will. Which in and of itself is bad. I'm not saying, I'm not, you know, saying one is worse than the other. I'm saying that those are still abusive. However, the, the preponderance of the time that is leading up to physical altercation, Uh which then can actually be life threatening. Yes. It just can. But I think it's really important that they break that down and show that men are often victims of uh, physical violence in the home as well. Absolutely. I actually knew a lady years and years ago when I was in the Marine Corps, and she's still in prison now, shot and killed her husband with a shotgun. Oh, my. I, I knew this woman. I knew her. I competed against her. I knew her in the Marine Corps. 
She and shot and killed him? With a shotgun in front of her kids. Yeah. Now, you know, I, I'm not naive. I'm, I'm sure there was violence going both ways, but he ended up being the ultimate violence of that of that domestic violence incident, you know. And, and now her kids have grown up without both parents because she's been in prison since then. So it's... It's important to realize that men can also be victims in this, although the numbers show, as you said, 25% of women, only 10% of men. But that's still an astounding number. If you're talking about 10 million people, yeah, it's it's still a lot of people. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's a lot of people. Yeah. So one in four women and one in 10 men. All right. Now, let's break this down even further, because this is where the rubber really meets the road, in my Mm -hmm. opinion approximately one in five female victims and one in 20 male victims require medical care right. after uh, such event or a multitude of events. Female victims sustain injuries three times more often than male victims, right. which that honestly is not too surprising, right? No. That women, it's almost an expectation. Right. One in five female victims and one in nine male victims need legal services. Mm-hmm. 23.2% of women and 13.9% of men have experienced severe physical violence by an intimate partner during their lifetime. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. From 2016 through 2018, the number of intimate partner violence victimizations in the United States increased by 42%. See, that's that's one of them that threw me. I was like, oh my God, why so? Why such a big percentage increase in two years? What What is going on? Who was president? I, I have some ideas on that. <laughs> I have some ideas I gotta, I gotta on that. I can careful. see you do too. I, can, I gotta I be real. I gotta be real <laughs> careful here. Yeah, I... I and again, the president of the United States. I yes, I was going to go there too. Uh, there was a lot more violent rhetoric being employed mm-hmm. in the public atmosphere, so that's not shocking, you know. But that is an it is a shocking number forty two percent increase, yeah. Yeah, not forty two percent like total forty two percent increase in- over the course yes. of two thousand and sixteen to two thousand and eighteen. That yeah. is terrifying. Yeah. I'm really curious to see the stats after COVID. I'm not joking. Well, I, that's a good point. I am very curious to see the stats from 2018 to 2020. Well, that was that was one of the arguments for not having a lockdown is is the rise of domestic it's violence. True. And and it does make sense because people that are under great pressure and in enclosed places with one another for long periods of time those those are situations that come up where anger gets out of control and things like that so even if possibly they they didn't have physical violence in their household prior to that there's a possibility it developed and so you're right the the, the studies on that'll be interesting to see sadly but will be interesting to see the next one is the one that really shocked me on a typical day, domestic violence hotlines nationwide receive over 19,000 calls every day. That That's – what in the world? Mm-hmm. <laughs> now, I can tell you, I don't know what services were available when I was a kid. I really don't. I have no idea. I've never looked into it. But I can tell you nobody in my house was making a phone call to anybody. 
They were just dealing with it. Mm-hmm. So how many more are we talking about? That's 19,000 people that are actually willing to pick up the phone. Mm-hmm. How many more are not unaccounted for because they don't they don't pick up the phone? Well, and I can guarantee you that the people who actually call is a minority oh, of for the sure. bigger number. For sure. The vast majority of yeah. people do not reach out for help. And if no. they end up getting help, it's typically because it's too late. Yeah. Like the help or doesn't get there. Something tragic has happened. It does the the help doesn't come there until it's either too late or something tragic has happened. The vast majority of people do not seek help. We know that through and through. That's not just true of domestic violence. That's true of mental health. That's true of anything. Absolutely. That's true of anything in which case you have to take steps to take to really move forward. Asking mm-hmm. for help is hard and it has been yeah. stigmatized in our society and compound that with domestic violence in which case threats are being put out that if you do do something if you do call someone if you do try to get help then i will kill you it you know there there's typically an additional threat to that than just the difficulty of reaching out so it's almost kind of like a i don't want to say it's a silent thing but like we just don't know but it is, though. It's, it, it, you know, there's so many things that are going on behind closed doors within families that, that no one will ever know. Right. It, and, and it's true. And again, I, I lived with so much of this. It wasn't until I was a teenager that I picked up the phone to call for help one time. And then what ended up happening was I was made to stand at the front door and tell the police that I lied. I didn't. But that's what I was told to do. And, and they knew. You could see on their face, they knew, but there was nothing they could do. There was nothing. So you're talking about even when people try and reach out, that there's no guarantee that there's going to be help or that help is going to be allowed. There's just no guarantee. So looking at 19,000 calls a day, that's 19,000 instances in which somebody actually got brave enough to make the call and actually help was provided, which is a very, very small number compared to the number of people that probably need help on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. Shocking. Incredibly shocking. I read those and I just sat, I mean, literally, I, I told you this is a tough subject matter for me. So I, I sat and read this and I literally found myself reliving a lot of crap. Did you really? Yeah. Are you, are you so, okay? I'm okay. I got therapy tomorrow. So. <laughs> so I also want to mention this next line here. And I, okay, before I even get into this, and it's bothering me because I'm trying, I'm thinking of the PowerPoint slide in my head for my suicide presentation uh, when I do a, a presentation on suicide, and I believe it's that women attempt suicide through like th- no, I, I'm going to say it wrong. Women attempt suicide 1.4 percent times more than men. Hmm. But men die by suicide 3.6 times more than women. Speaking to the lethality of firearm, when a firearm is involved, it is it is the lethal it is the lethal means. Like when we talk about suicide and we look at actual stats, women are far more likely to use non-lethal means, whereas men are more likely to use lethal means, i.e., a weapon or a firearm. This next stat here, so in looking in regards to domestic violence. An abuser's access to a firearm increases the risk of intimate partner femicide, so I'm assuming the death of the female, by 400%. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 400%. Mm -hmm. 
percent. Yeah. Okay. And I'm not here to have a whole thing around gun laws. I'm not fighting that battle. But when a firearm is in someone's possession, the game changes. For sure. It, on almost every area, from mental health to domestic violence to accidents across the board, having a firearm changes the game. Yes. And in domestic violence situations, it can be used to threaten and keep people in, a, in dangerous situations. And it's yeah. devastating. And in my experience was. Was it really? Yes. Yes. I want to do you as our lived experience story. <laughs> That's too big of a story. Well. Um, yeah. Because there were several different relationships of that involved domestic violence in my childhood. So, you know, not all of them had weapons involved, but one specifically did. And I was very frightened by that because I mean, I mean, guns are just scary when you're a kid anyway. I mean, you're either fascinated fascinated with them or you're frightened by them. And if they're used in a threatening manner, you're frightened by them. Mm -hmm. So it's, but yeah, it, it drastically increases the likelihood of somebody dying. Yeah. So. Yep. Well, any other of these stats uh, popping out to you? I, I thought it was interesting. The intimate partner violence is most common against women between the ages of 18 and 24. I, that's shocking to me because I would think a little bit older than that. Typically, mothers with small children. But again, that was my experience. So that's where I'm speaking from. So to me, I thought those that age group was a little low. Although I do know that domestic violence has increased dramatically in the college years between boyfriend-girlfriend situations. Yep. And what do we know about college years? What are they typically mm -hmm. partaking in? A lot of drinking. And, a lot of drinking. Yeah. And what do we yeah. know about drinking? It lowers inhibitions. And when yes. inhibitions are lower, we do and we say things that we would right. not normally. Right. And you're not at home. You've gotten out of the care of your parents. There's no one there to watch you. Right. I, I'm not going to justify any act of violence at all, but I am going to say this. It at least somehow in my mind makes more sense if there's some kind of substance involved to where, like you're saying, your inhibitions are lowered, you're acting not according to what you would normally act. That at least makes a little more sense to me. My experience was with, I had that experience, but I also had the experience of somebody being just stone cold sober and just that violent. Mm -hmm. And to me, that's even more frightening. Oh, I don't that somebody disagree. that can do that with no with no sympathy whatsoever, no empathy when, within their mindset at all, and have no problem being violent like that. That is incredibly frightening. Yeah, and of course it's of course it's scarier because one, they require yes. a substance to be that mean and violent. This person mm -hmm. doesn't need that. No, they don't need it. They are just that way, and that is, yeah. Again, I can feel the anxiety climb up my throat. So mm. It's it, it's still a frightening memory, you know, decades later. So it's it's incredible. Like I said, so I don't want to justify one over the other, but I can say having experienced both, that was more frightening to me than somebody that was inebriated. So, but I again, I thought the age group was a little shocking. I I was wondering if that stat, if the age group had actually lowered over you know the last few decades, or if that was if that was a pretty static number, if it had held that way out, because that wasn't my experience. So mm -hmm. I would, I mean, I'd be curious to see it. I'd be curious. Yeah, I'm sure we could see, probably find it, but to see that, that breakdown. Yeah. But very awful thing. Yes. And, and again, we're talking, of course, about the most 
violent of situations, as we said, leading up to this, it it doesn't always, it's not always something this violent. Right. Because, and, and I want to really focus in on something, and, and I, I think we're going to talk about this in future episodes, but like really when we're going through these stats, as Michelle just mentioned, I mean, these are the, the severe stats, right? These mm-hmm. are the stats that are resulting in death. These are the stats that, you know, terrify people when you look at the actual numbers. But truly, when we think about crime, in 2018, partner violence accounted for 20% of all violent crime. Right. So first of all, it's only 20% of all violent crime. And the thing I want to to really paint here is that the crux of domestic violence is not really even the violence. Now, there are situations in which the violence most certainly is. Right. But the the core of what domestic violence is all about is power and control. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you can totally be you know, using power and control and it not be resulting in a violent manner. It still counts as domestic violence because it's power right. and control over another person within your home or right. relation, close relationship. So It's probably the one that's often not, not mentioned or not discussed. I mean, if you're not going to report violent crime, you're certainly not going to report this because most people will be like, well, you didn't, did he touch you? Did exactly. she touch you? And, and so there's this, this, tendency to kind of pull back and say, maybe I'm imagining it. Of course, this leads to like some gaslighting situations and things like that. So there's a whole bunch of levels to this, which makes it very difficult to discuss because again, every person's going to hear it from the perspective that they've experienced. Mm -hmm. And so you may, you may have been the victim of violent domestic violence and meaning weapons or physical altercation or whatever. And you look at somebody that, you know, somebody was holding holding them financially hostage and you go, big deal. Well, we have to be careful not to do that yep. because all of it is important. All of it mm-hmm. is, a, is a pattern of some kind of abusive behavior. And as you said, board, that is predicated by control. Right. And the thing about it is when we think about statistics, it's very, as Michelle just mentioned, it's so incredibly hard to measure power and control on a statistics level so i know like we just went through all these stats right and it makes it sound like we're talking about really serious violence it's because we are because those are the statistics we have but we know it is far far more reaching than that right right And, and i really don't want anyone to hear this episode and hear those statistics and somehow think oh i thought i was in a domestic violence situation and i'm so maybe i'm not right because that's not what we are saying at all really what no, I, if if mm-hmm, go ahead, if Michelle. you're in any kind of situation where you're living under coercion or intimidation you feel fear or anxiety for your well-being mm-hmm. that's a traumatic situation that is that is a that is still a controlling situation so that is domestic violence yes it is it's just not the one they make movies about it's just not and i think that's kind of where we get most of our our understanding of that kind of of, of domestic violence is from the big screen mm-hmm. basically what's presented yeah. and so we forget that and, and i think this the the information that you provided Seth actually we should mention this domestic violence is prevalent in every community it's yes. not just one community or another one socioeconomic class or another it affects everybody age socioeconomic status sexual orientation gender race religion nationality all of it everybody is 
able to be involved in this demographic. Mm-hmm. And so you can't think, oh, well, that's not me because of this. That's not true. At all. <laughs> and I just also want to point out that when violence is involved, right, it, it often results in physical injury. Mm-hmm. And this person is able to p- turn to this physical injury and say, okay, then now I can call this what it is. But the truth of the matter is, is that even if there's no physical violence, mm-hmm. the psychological impact of that traumatic event can be just as bad, if not worse, than someone who was who experienced actual physical violence. Right. So, th- so really, we can't compare. We only bring up the stuff because that's what we have the stats about. Because that's the only those are the only statistics out there for us to gather. Right. But, those are the ones that have been reported. Yeah. But we know that there is so much more that's going on that's under. This is the tip of the iceberg. Like, right. this is the top. Like, this is, there's so much more underneath this. It's so much bigger than so many of us think. And I just, and I know I feel like I'm just repeating myself here. And I apologize <laughs> for that. It's important. But I just, I really want you to understand. I mean, I don't want. I want I hope that I am communicating in a way that you can understand that just because you have not experienced something that resulted in violence does not mean that you aren't suffering from a domestic mm-hmm. violence situation or that you are not experiencing the psychological impact of trauma because you right. very well may be. Yeah. I think it's important to also mention and and we kind of alluded to this at the beginning that and and we'll get in more into this as we go through the the subject over the next month but a, as you just said just because you haven't experienced physical violence doesn't mean you're not a victim that holds true for the people that are living in the house like kids or whatever yes just because they are not actually being abused doesn't mean that they're not victims of domestic violence because there is trauma involved with it there is anxiety there is trauma that they're going to be experiencing as they grow into adulthood and and in all honesty, it was suggested to me that I wasn't the victim of, of physical violence when I was a kid, so I shouldn't be traumatized. That's bullshit. And it made me incredibly angry because I've lived my entire life reliving a lot of that stuff. And it absolutely was traumatic. So we have to remember that it, as we're, as we're discussing this, we're discussing it from the perspective of tr- it being trauma-inducing, not, not bruise-inducing. Right. Not broken arm-inducing trauma-inducing, which is a mental thing. So we can't say, well, I was never hit, so I wasn't a victim. Yes, you were, because you witnessed it. You witnessed somebody you love being uh, being violently abused. Uh, All of that counts. You are a victim of domestic violence. Yes. And so as that pertains to trauma, you're going to experience trauma symptoms, as we talked about last month, because you're going to relive those situations over and over, Mm -hmm. maybe even subconsciously. As, as we talked about. Well, it's so. very possible that you're experiencing it subconsciously. And it's right. very possible that you witnessed stuff before you realize that you had, that you don't remember. There's exactly. stuff that may have happened that you don't even know happened, right. but you witnessed it because you were a child at home. I think so often society kind of overlooks the kids. Absolutely. Because we don't think about what they are hearing and seeing. We're just right. thinking about the actual bruises and wounds. And it's it's so much more than that. Yeah. Um, and I think Michelle, you have a personal story around that, correct? From like some of your upbringing and what you went through in regards to. <laughs> You'd have to specify more. I know you've well, got so many; it's not even funny. Right. So. <laughs> but I mean, there was domestic violence in your home as a child. Is that correct? 
Absolutely. Almost my entire childhood. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Uh, almost. I, I, I can't say it was every day, but there weren't many days there weren't. Yeah. So, and again, it was several different abusive relationships. Right. Well, and the whole thing about it is if they, what didn't happen that day, the remnants of power and control were probably still there. Oh, for sure. Yeah. yeah. So again, it it is a very personal discussion for me. And, and so I'm trying to be very cautious about what I say because I don't, <laughs> some stuff doesn't need to be said, but at the same time, I feel like there's a lot of it that's valuable to the actual experiential level yeah. of living with this. Now, I haven't had physical violence in, in my house with my kids, but I grew up with it. And I, so again, this is part of me going to therapy now is trying to un, undo all that shit that happened mm-hmm. and understand that much of my life has been lived through that lens, that trauma lens, and has led to decisions that maybe I wouldn't have made otherwise right. without that trauma in my life. Because that, I think we have to remember that we have to think about those things. Mm-hmm. Because if we're operating, and again, going back to the physiology that we discussed last uh, last month and everything, when we go back to the brain chemistry and everything that's happening in trauma and how that sits in the midbrain, that may be on a subconscious level, but we are actually living from a response to that. Mm-hmm. And so it it is, it's... Again, that's why it's so important to say just because you weren't the actual victim of domestic violence doesn't mean that you're not a victim. Yeah. Because you are, because that stuff is stored inside of you. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a tough conversation. And I, I went into this knowing it was gonna be, so it's it's okay, but <laughs> yeah. So if I if I end up laughing more, that's a nervous t- a nervous tick for me. Everybody needs to know that. That's a very much a nervous tick for me. That's me trying to control the anxiety that's sitting in my throat. So this this will be a this will be a challenging series for me well i'm so happy that you're here to do it with me and i just want to throw this out there michelle and and again i'm not trying to blow smoke here (laughs) but um i think that there's a lot of people out there that need to hear about other people who've gone through this Oh, I think it's one of the most, I mean, that's what we did. And, you know, in these domestic violence groups that I facilitated to help Mm -hmm. women take steps forward and develop a plan to help them get out. But so much of it is about hearing someone else's lived experience. And so as your co-host, I just want to throw out, I give you complete reign throughout this entire series (laughs) to relate this back to anything personal if and when you can. I don't know if that I'd be able to control myself from doing that in all honesty. So. Perfect. Because that's what I want you to do. Yeah. Because it, I want people to hear. I, you know what? I, I want to hear. I want individuals to hear, not just here's the situation and here are right. some tips, but I right. want them to hear a lived experience story of someone who's gone through this and is now on the other side, raising their own children and ending that cycle. Yeah. And I think yeah. you have. Yeah. Well, for the most part, yeah. I think that, you know, uh, unfortunately, I, you know, lived and breathed and raised my children through that trauma lens. So I'm sure that there's some things, you know, that bled through, but certainly not the physical violence. Which that's Um, huge. Yeah, it's huge. So, I mean, I try to remember that and give myself some grace, but it's, it's an upsetting subject matter, no matter what. So, you know. We just have to be mindful of that in the discussion because it's not just upsetting to me. It's going to be upsetting to a lot of people. It's going to be triggering for a lot of people. Uh-huh. And so, 
I think we have to be very cognizant of that and mm-hmm. and factual, but kind of gentle with it as well. Yeah. So, but I definitely hope that people are going to be willing to engage in the conversation. They're going to feel free to actually share some of their experiences or their questions. Because I think that, as you said, that's valuable to be able to share information and let other people know they're not alone. Mm-hmm. And that that there there are other ways of handling things maybe that they're unaware of. Yeah. So, but I think that that leads into discussion of if you have these issues or you're listening and you need someplace to vent, we have a Facebook group. We have, you know, things that are available for people to actually contact us or to, you know, to share their heart mm-hmm. within a group of people that are inclined to to feel compassion for that yeah and we so a couple things with that we've provided several avenues now Uh, we actually have two ways to engage our community Um, we do have a facebook group and i am trying so hard to get people to share i am trying so hard it's way better than it was oh my it's It's way better there's been so much progress but there's still so much more to go i know but i'm we're working on it and we really want that to we want that to be a place where where you can come to receive support but also to share your story and to share right. what's going on and, and and be real and open and honest and vulnerable. Beyond that, we also have a Marco Polo group. Now, not many people know what Marco Polo is, but it's like video text messaging. Um, it mm-hmm. is completely free. And if that is something that you would enjoy to be able to talk to people face to face, including both Michelle and I, as well as several other members of our mental community, you are more than welcome to join that as well. Um, hit me up on Facebook. Um, if you'd like information on that, it's also on our main page with the link. Mm-hmm. And then as since this is the first episode of domestic violence tra- trauma specifically, if there's certain things around domestic violence that you would like us to make sure that we cover, I want you to feel free to text us at our hotline. That phone number is 314-690-5005. Again, that phone number is 314-690-5005. Um, please feel free to text any uh, any suggestions, ideas, things you'd like us to cover. I mean, heck, you can even give us a call and you might just get a call back from me. You just really <laughs> never know. But, but we're trying to keep this community active and, and we want you to be able to get plugged in. And we want to thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. Yeah. Thanks, everybody.